throughout this whole, um, yeah, so one there, two here, one here, that'd be perfect. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, the key verse is in Psalm verse one, chapter 127, verses 3 and 4, that says this, <clears throat> Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. We talked about that a little bit last week, but we talked about that this this whole idea about about children being like a uh, being like an arrow in the hands of a warrior. But but as parents, you know, you and I have responsibilities, and we have the opportunity also to help direct our children on on uh, on what, what path they're going to be on. And we talked last week a lot about uh, a lot about children and a lot about the uh, the um, environment that we're creating for our kids. Today, though, what I, wanted to, what I wanted to talk about is kind of the position, the organization that we have in our homes, because there's, there's a lot of this gets really confusing, a lot of this gets a little messed up. Um, so let me just start, let's do this. Let's talk about in, in the relationship in the home, what, you, what we want, what we aim for is to have God, of course, overall and, and uh, in all, and he is the one who is... In, a, in place of authority over every one of us. And so he has that place of, of, highest, whoops, of highest honor in our homes. He's got the place of authority in our homes, and he's the one who directs our, uh, directs our homes. And the next, of course, uh, biblically, we believe that dad has the next in line of authority in the home. And um, it's kind of interesting what the New Testament has to say about dads, but it, it basically says that, the, that dad is, is the head of the home, but it also has a lot to, the New Testament has a lot to say with equality too. So uh, I think it's interesting, I think the way that uh, Jimmy Evans talks about it, he said, men are, are, are the head of the home, but it's just by like this much, you know, it's, it's not the authoritarian kind of a, a relationship, but it, the dad is, a, is the head of the home. Uh, but he's also an equal standing with his wife before God, which I think is interesting. We're going to talk about that relationship at a later time. But what we aim for, of course, is what the ideal is, is that we have a dad and a mom who are both there who are, under, who are subject or under God's authority. And then, of course, we have the child who is here who's receiving all of the instruction and the teaching and the love of the parents and the love of the Heavenly Father as well. So, right, so this is it. But I just wanted to use this, and, you know, just in case my voice goes out entirely, I'll just, we'll just do this thing, and we'll just kind of try a charades and see how that works. So we'll see how this goes. But what I wanted to talk about today was I, uh, and actually I need to run a little retraction. I, this is what I get for, uh, for trying to steal from another sermon. I just need to stick to the notes. But uh, last week I was talking about half of, of American homes have uh, parents who are, or children growing up in, in single-parent homes. That's, that's the wrong number. That's a number of, of uh of children who are growing up in divorced homes, they may have been remarried. The number is 35% of children are growing up in, in a single-parent household, all right? And many of you may have grown up in a single-parent household. Um, and typically what happens, about three-quarters of those that are growing up in a single-parent household are the ones where the dad has left and left the, left the mom and the, and the child to, to grow up. And we know the impacts of that. In, in about a quarter of the cases, it is where or the mom is left and the dad has the children. But in most of them, in three quarters of them, um, right now in the, in the United States is about 15 million, let me, <clears throat> I don't know if how well you can hear me today, 15 million children growing up without a father in their home. Five million peop- children growing up without a mother in your home. Can you imagine that? 15 million children, 20 million total growing up in a single parent household. 
And of course, you know, that, that's not the ideal. That's not what, what we want. But understanding, too, is that that's sometimes what you have. That maybe that's some, some, some people that you know who are, who are well-meaning believers right now who have, are going through that experience right now. And of course, you know, we can say a lot about this, and, and I, I, I want to I make sure here, so just like I was talking about Jesus Christ setting the standard here, but deepening grace and forgiveness at the same time, I want to do the same thing here for just a moment. Those, those kids who are growing up without fathers, um, and by the way, this number, that number 35, that number 20 million, that's doubled since 1960. So in 50 years, we went from 10, 10 million to 20 million kids who are growing up in single-parent households uh, in that time frame. So, um, and we know that, and of course, in some places, they're, they're even, in some populations, it's even worse. In, in black families, in black neighborhoods, the number is 54% that are being raised by single mothers. And I don't know if you can grasp this, but can you imagine half of the population is growing up as little boys who have no role model as a father, who has no role model as a husband, and who grew up and they don't know how to be a father, and they don't know how to be a husband because they haven't had it demonstrated to them by their father because their father has left their home. When parents leave, children suffer, period. Let me say that one more time. When, when parents leave, when a parent leaves, their children suffer, period. There's no way around it. You can't sugarcoat it. It doesn't matter. And I know that makes some people feel guilty. I, I understand that. But the truth is when parents, when a parent walks out, children suffer, period. And so that's one of the things that as a church, as a, as a group of believers, we want to say that the ideal is for couples to live together and to stay together. And especially for us men, to be able to say to other men, stay with your wife and stay with your children. Be there for them, because this is what God has called us to. Amen? This is what God has called us to. Now, knowing full well, very, very much so, that in, the, in, a world, in a sinful world, things happen, and families break apart, and I know that full well. And as much as I'm saying I, we want to set that standard, we also say, and there's grace and acceptance and forgiveness for every one of us who failed, and ain't nobody failed any more than me. Yeah? Yeah, we should all have the same attitude, right? Okay. But I want to talk to you just a little bit about, about children who are, who are absent, their fathers. On average, they are two or three times more likely to, to be poor. The average income of, of a married couple is $80,000. The average income of a single mom is $24,000. Uh, they're more likely, two to three times more likely to use drugs. Those children are, are more likely to experience educational, health, emotional, and behavior problems, to be victims of child abuse. You know what happens when a man steps away is that there's some bad men sometimes who come to the house. You with me? You, we see this. We know this. You've heard the stories. We've read the newspaper reports. When a man steps away and is not there to protect his children, the bad guy can, some, sometimes comes in and abuses his children. Uh, they're more likely to engage in criminal behavior than their peers who have their, their fathers and their mothers stay with them. When, when men leave, children suffer, period. And, you know, I, I was reading, anyone heard of uh, William Wilberforce, the MP in Great Britain in the 1800s who fought for... Um, who fought against slavery in the British Empire, finally won the fight and fa finally saw uh, slavery abolished in his lifetime at the, toward the end of his life. One of the things I read about William Wilberforce is that he had this desire to take things that were good and righteous and make them popular in culture. Right, So one of the things that he did is that in, at that time in Great Britain, the people who were very powerful or the people who were very rich, those men typically had very little influence in their families. 
But what William Wilberforce was convinced of is that he knew that he wanted to be there with his kid, he, kids. He wanted to have a relationship with them. And so what he would do oftentimes is that he would take off from work and he would play with his children very publicly outside so that people could see, so that his neighbors could see, so that everyone could see that he was playing with his children. But what he wanted was it to show that it, to, to make it very popular for dads to be there for their kids. And it's as hard as that is to imagine a couple of hundred years ago, I can't imagine anything else being more important than that for us as men, is setting that example. It's not only good, it's important, and it's righteous for men to be involved in the lives of their children. Amen? Amen. Um, yeah, so, so boys grow up, boys who grow up, you know, I, I, I know we all grow up, none of, none of us has a perfect family because none of us are perfect people, right? And so there are time, there are things in your life as there are things in my life that you didn't grow up with a good role model for a particular part of your life, right? Uh, because your parents were imperfect and now you're imperfect. And so my children are learning, you know, from me the things that God has redeemed and changed in my life, but there's still holes in my life. My life. And so my son will grow up not having, not having some, uh, a, a role model in some particular area of, of his life, and he'll just, have to, he'll just have to deal with that. That's something God's going to have to do, deal with him. But, you know, goodness gracious, at least we're there. Right? At least we're there, and, and we're under, under the submission of the Father to try to, to work there and to be there for our children and engage them. And uh, we're going to talk about why that's so important here towards the end. But let me, let me just say, kids who grow up without a mom or a dad in the house can have very deep wounds that can last a lifetime. Matter of fact, you've seen it, right? We've all seen it, and maybe this was you. Maybe this was you. When you if you grow up without a mom or a dad, it can leave a very big, empty space in your life. It can leave a void in your life that you're looking to fill. Listen, what happens to a young lady who grows up without a dad? She, she, she transfers that need. She transfers that desire that she had for, for love from her father. And when he had left and when he had abandoned or left her, he, he, he leaves and he leaves a very deep void in her life. And she goes and looks for that. And she transfers that need, what? To other men. And she goes looking and looking and looking for that which her father never fulfilled in her, she goes and looking for other people. Well, the truth is, is that she'll never find it there. And isn't it true, isn't it true that every one of us have a deep need for acceptance from, for, our, for our moms and dads? And it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if, if, you're in your, if you're two and your dad's 22, or if you're 82 and your dad's 102, it doesn't matter. We're always looking for the acceptance of our parents, aren't we? We always are. We're always looking for it. And when that doesn't happen, when, that, we don't, when we don't get that, it leaves an emptiness and a void in our lives that we're always trying to fulfill. It's interesting that happens. Uh, apparently, there's something like that that happens in the life of a woman in John chapter 4. There's a woman that Jesus meets at a well, and he, he engages in this conversation with her that's very interesting. He starts talking to her about the, about the things that she's missing in his, in his life, and he's using this parallel to talk to her, and he says, there's something that you're missing in your life and you're thirsting for in your life, and he's using this parallel, this symbolism to talk to her, and he says, it's like water. It's like you're thirsty for water and you can't get filled. And along in that conversation, he says in the midst of it, because, because he is God and he's recognizing what's going on in her life, even though she hasn't said anything, and he says, he says, bring your husband, and she says, I have no husband. And he said, what you said is true, right? Because you've had five husbands, and now the guy that you're living with, you're not even married to, she's had six guys in her life, five husbands and now a live-in, and, and what he says, and then he says something incredibly profound there in John chapter 4. Look with me real quick in John chapter 4. 
beginning in verse 13, verses 13 and 14. So he's pointing to the water from the well, and he's talking about being thirsty for that water. Everyone who drinks this water, that is the water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So you see what Jesus is doing there is incredibly profound. He's talking about her being thirsty for water, and she's com- he's comparing that to the thirst that she has in her life for significance, for importance, for love. And, she's, and he says to her, as long as you're going there, you're always going to be thirsty. But come to me, and you'll never thirst again. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that profound? So what, what he's saying here is that the thing, that whatever it is that you think you're missing, that you think you're going to find in these men, you're never going to find there. You can only find in me. So what hope is there for the young woman who grows up without a father or the young man who grows, without, grows up without a mother? What hope do they have for wholeness? What hope do they have to be successful in a relationship and stay in a married relationship? The hope is the same that any of the rest of us have. And that is the hope in the God who has known every, every fear, known all the emptiness, seen every tear, heard every cry, the God alone who can save and redeem us all. That's Right? Amen? That's the hope of us all, and that's the hope of them to try to fulfill what's been lost so that they can have a relationship with, with, uh, with a husband one day and with a family and, and experience wholeness. So important. Uh, so important. And, and from, from Psalm 64, says this, uh, uh, that says that this is what our God is like. Psalm chapter 64 says this. I'm sorry, 68. Sorry, threw you, didn't I? Psalm 68, verse 4. Sing to the Lord, sing praise to his, whole, to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before him. Look what it says who God is. This is one of his names. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Listen to what that says. He's a father to the fatherless, a husband to the widow, and he settles the families, right? He settles, uh, he settles the, na- the, the families uh, before him. He settles them um, in their place. That, that's, the, that's the nature of our God. He wants to be for us what we couldn't find for ourselves. And so one of the things that... so. Um, in, in, from about the 1960s through the 1970s, there's an, obviously an incredible cultural change that happened in our, in our world. But one of the things that happened is be, people became much more self-centered. And so they started to do, you know, whatever feels good, do it. They started experimenting with drugs. They started experimenting with sex outside of marriage. And you know, the people who paid the price were the children, Right? Every time. And so what's happened with every generation since then is the children are the ones who've paid the price for our society who's become so much self-centered that there's now no longer any time or any desire to be there for the kids. And, and, it's, and its toll was taken out on, on generations of children where, ch- where children were either left alone because their parents were uninterested in them or because their dad left or their mom left because they just weren't happy there anymore. And the, and the people who've paid the price were the children. We, we've grown up since then with, with a more and more broken generation of people, broken generation of people who typically grew up alone, children who are alone more than they were with their families, children who were abandoned by their father or abandoned by their mother, and they grew up very cynical, and they grow, grow up with very difficult time trusting, and then they try to go and make their own families, and it doesn't work. 
unless the Lord Jesus Christ has come in and he's redeemed what's broken in their lives, yeah? But so in that regard, in that regard, so, so that's in, in, in this regard, this is how um, in some ways our society says to children over and over again, you're unimportant, right? That where mom and dad have their own things that they want to pursue. They want to pursue their own things. They want to do their own stuff. And listen, this has happened sometimes in my family. It happens sometimes in your family. You ever, you ever had that experience when your child was very young and they come to you and you're so busy with all your busy adult stuff, whatever you're doing, and, and they're trying to get your attention. They're, you know, they're tugging on your pant leg or whatever, and they're, they're trying to get your attention. It's, oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. You know, talk to me later. I can't talk to you right now. And then you turn around and Finally, you're listening, you look at them and they've drawn you a picture for something precious and beautiful. And we all get so busy in our so important uh, adult life that we brush them off. Listen, it happens in our families too, doesn't it? Where we, tell, we, where we have a message to our children that just happens more often than it should that says you're unimportant. When a child gets the message that they're unimportant, they suffer for it. That leaves wounds. That, that leaves hurt in their lives. And, uh, and, and it just happens to all of us, doesn't it? It happens to every, every one of us. So, so in one regard, we kind of live in a culture that says to children, you're unimportant because what the adults have to do to pursue their own happiness, to do their own thing, to do what they want to do is so much more important than you. The other mistake we make, though, I think, in regards to children is that um, is in one way we say that, you know, the children are unimportant, but in some ways we start to say that the child is all important. Matter of fact, I think that's been maybe a, a knee-jerk reaction to what's happened in our culture where, where people say, well, no, our children are important. As a matter of fact, they're so important that they're more important than our marriage relationship. And this happens all the time. It happens in people, with people in churches, right, where, where the child is elevated from the place that they belong and actually brought into and brought before the relationship with the parents. Well, let me tell you, when children are put before the marriage, the marriage suffers. And guess what? When the marriage suffers, the children suffer, right? One of the greatest things you can do as a dad is to love your kid's mom. One of the greatest things you can do as a mom is to love your kid's dad. Listen, you, and I, you know this, and I know this, and I've experienced it so many times. When I'm making my marriage a priority, and that means that my child is a priority, but it's not a priority above my marriage. When I'm spending time with my wife, when we're together, when we're unified about what we're doing and where we're going, my child benefits. I'm a much better dad when I'm a much better husband. And my wife is a much better mom when she's a much better wife. Did I get that all right? That's incredible. Yeah. Hey, that's right. All right. Pretty good. All right. So, so I, so, um, uh, yeah. So, so you, you know all this though, and 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 you know this, and and of course, you know the thing is, is that we tend to take things to extreme, right? So, so what we tend to do is we say this relationship is so important that uh, the kids are just bothering me. Right? The, the kids are just, they're, they're just bothering me. They're always in the way. Listen, children are still a priority, but this is, this is priority one. This is priority two. Work and, 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 your, and your ministry works that comes some, somewhere after this, but, but you've got to be making time as a couple so can, you can be effective in parenting your child, right? So you've got to watch. You can't let this, you can't let the child come in and run your house, right? That's why they're called children. They're not, they shouldn't be in charge yet. They don't have the brains for it yet, right? They don't have the emotional makeup yet, right? Uh, so anyway, so, um, 
But regardless, one, so in, in one strain we say that the children are unimportant, and the other one we say that children are all important, and people spend their time chasing around their kids, doing things, going, uh, going a little crazy, you know, every weekend, spending hundreds of dollars, taking them to places and doing crazy stuff, and there's no time for the marriage relationship. There's no time for the relationship with the Heavenly Father, and the only time that they have is uh, making sure that their, that their kid is the next, you know, John Elway or Peyton Manning, right? Um, in the end, when there's not time for the relationships, um, everybody suffers. You with me? All right. Now, now here we go. This is, this is really where, <laughs> this is really the crux of the sermon now. So, so let me just, uh, just put up with me for a little bit longer. In one regard, when we say that children are unimportant, children are broken and damaged. When, in the other way, whenever we say that children are all important, families are broken and damaged. But then the other thing that I, that I want you to that I want to want to talk to you about there is, is this thing: is that one day, one day how it happens is one day mom and dad are going to kind of move off to the side, right? One day we're going to move off to the side, and our and our children are going to become adults. And our children are going to step up in this place, and they're going to they're going to begin in, in really in in uh, in uh, what in in real life they're going to begin this relationship with the heavenly Father, and they're going to they're going to do they're going to do this without much of mom and dad's influence, right? Well, the 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 question is, or the problem is, is that sometimes mom and dad have not shown the child very well how that relationships work, how that relationship works. So here's the deal. So your children are learning what God is like through you, by your example, right? So when a child is very small and, and cries because they're hungry or wet or, you know, whatever it is, they need something, they need to be held or they need to be cuddled, one of the things that psycholo- psychologists have, have learned, psychiatrists have learned, is that it's very important at, for, at a, at, for that young age, for, for a newborn, to be held, to be cuddled, to be loved, to be fed, to be changed. As a matter of fact, to not do so, they've done some research and some studies in, in uh, some orphanages actually in Russia from years and years ago where they found that the children who, there just wasn't enough help to get to all the children, that, that children would cry, and they would cry for a while, but whenever no one would come, they would eventually stop crying whenever they needed something. They would stop crying when they were hungry. And those children grew up with this terrible psychological problems where they couldn't connect with, with other people. They, they, they didn't have that trust. They didn't have that ability to connect with someone else. It's, it's important. And the, the deal is, is that you and I are representing God to our children. So when a youngster, you know, when a, when, a, when a young child, when an infant cries and can't do anything on their own, they rely on mom and dad to step in and do for them what they could not do. And that's the very first part of a human being learning trust. And it's so important for those little minds. It's so important for them to, to understand it. But then as the children grow, they, they, be, they need to start learning other things besides trust, right? When they start to get a little bit older, they need to understand authority and discipline. We're going to talk about that next week. They're going to start to learn discipline and authority. And it, it depends very much on how they grow up, about how very firm-handed you are or very soft-handed you are. But they, they're beginning to learn how to relate to God based on how you relate to them. It, it's an incredibly incredibly important role, and especially men as fathers, that the truth is, is, that men, is that people learn to relate to God primarily through their dad. What you're teaching them and what you're showing them is teaching them and showing them what God is like and how they relate to him. Let me just ask you real quickly, 
when a child grows up and the father's gone, what does that child see God as? I'm sorry, my hearing's also very bad today. A little louder, please. <laughs> Absent, yeah. When dad's gone, they don't, they don't trust that God is there for them. Very hard for them to come to faith. What else? Uh, well, how, how about, I'm sorry. My, I really, I'm sorry, my hearing's terrible today. So how about when dad is, how about when dad is, you know, there's a passage that Paul talks about. He says, do not exacerbate your children. How about the dad who's always angry? How about the dad who's always like quick to discipline and quick to, quick to punish? When a dad, when, it, when a child grows up with that, how does he begin to view God? Authoritative. Yeah, absolutely. Authoritarian, right? Uh, hard to believe that, that they could be accepted by God. Very hard for those kids also to come to God because they've had their picture of God, their view of God has been distorted. What else? Always feel like he's ticked off no matter what you do, right? You never can do enough. Somebody else? Yeah, like God's out to get you, like he's holding a lightning bolt, right, and ready to, ready to zap you at any time. So it's so important for us men, listen, it, for us men to be involved. And we're going to talk about that balance. You know, there's a balance to be struck between this very lenient, the child can get away with murder and do absolutely anything they want, and this very harsh, it doesn't matter what you do, you're always wrong. There's a balance to be struck between the two. But regardless, men, and I want you to feel this, you are representing God to your children. Ladies, you are too. You're representing God to your children. You're teaching them what God is like all through their lifetime as growing up as, as children. And one day, you're going to step aside, and they're going to relate to God in the way that you taught them to relate to you. How does God deal with you? With grace? What else? Patience, yeah, patience and patience, that's right. What else? Forgiving, yeah, what else? I'm sorry, love, yeah, loving. How should we treat our children? Patience, gracious, forgiving, loving. See, when a child grows up with that, then that day comes wherever you're going to step aside as a mom or a dad. And child is going to be able to step up to their heavenly father and say, I know you. I, I recognize you because I've seen you represented in my mom. And I've seen you represented in my dad. And I know your character because I've seen it live down in their lives. I know that I mess up and I know that I've grown up and I know I've done some stupid, foolish things, but I know you forgive me. I, I know that, that you always want what's best for me, and so I know I can trust you. I know that every time I needed something, my mom or my dad were there, and so I know I can trust you. Listen, the calling that God has on parents is the most, one of the most important roles in all of the planet, and we want to be very intentional about the way that we act and the way that we, we treat our kids. Listen, it's, it's so important, isn't it, when your children are little, to get down on your hands and knees on their level and show them that you care. You know, to, to love them enough to spend time with them, to play with them, to wrestle around with them, to let them jump on your back, to, you know, let them swing around your arms, you know, to, you know, drag them on your, on your feet. That's so important. And it's so important, too, when they start to get a little older to be that, 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 that firm but loving hand of discipline to say, I, this is where you're at, but this is where I want you to be. You, you, you know, right now you're having trouble with lying, and lying's not good. I love you still, but where I want you to be is here. I want you to recognize the, the importance of truth. 
And it's and in so many regards, it's so important for us to love and accept them. But just like Jesus Christ, just like Jesus Christ does to us, for our grace to be very, very deep, and our acceptance and our forgiveness to to them to go very, very deep, and yet at the same time saying, "But I've got high expectations of you." Yeah, so important. Like like the arrow in the hands of a warrior, to have direction and to have an aim and have a projection for your children, that you, you desire something better for them, you desire for them to grow up and to be godly young men and godly young women is so important. I can't stress that enough for us all here today. Your role as a mom or dad is probably the most important thing that you've got going today. And it only lasts for a moment. It only lasts for time. You know, the last couple of days I've been sick, but um, John, last night I was, I was, last two nights I've been home, and you know where my children were? They're all gone. All out of the house. My time's about done. I, I've done about all I can do. Now all they need is incredible financial support. <laughs> Mind-numbing, God, what's that word? Gobstock. Gobsmacked, um, yeah, I just learned a new word from Jessica. Gobsmacked, um, that means like, like what, like a flabbergasted financial support. But besides that, you know, the other time is about done for me. And, you know, yesterday we were having children. Right? It, yesterday Brenda was pregnant, wasn't it? It just uh, it seems like it's, it's that long, doesn't it? Listen, you have a very short time in your life, and then your life's going to proceed. Your life's going to go on. But as this role and this point, I want us all to be very intentional. You are representing God to your children. Show him what he's like. Show him what he's like. One day they're going to relate to him the way that you've taught them to relate to you. Amen. God help us. It's a big role. It's tough. It, it, you know, and, and you let that, let, that, let that weight fill you. You know, men with your broad shoulders, let that, let that press down on you a little bit, and I guarantee you, you'll pray more. Amen. Because, you know, oh, man, I'm, I'm not a very good representation sometimes. I'm not a very good representation maybe most of the time. God help me. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed today. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we consider all the great things that you've done for us, we want to represent, we want to be that for our children. We want to help, we want to help, um, help um, show our children what you're like so that they can relate to you one day and that they can find you and that they can know you. That one day when they're, a, when they're a teenager and in their young 20s, that they can look up and say, I know what God's like because I saw him in my mom and dad. Father, help us all to fulfill that calling you have. And not that any of us are perfect, but Lord God, under your authority, under, under the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to represent you well, Lord God, that our children can connect with you one day. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Let me read the last thing I'd like to do is read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to what this says, and you, you all know the verses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now listen to what he says, what to do with these commandments, specifically to love God. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk, walk around along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and feet and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Listen, we're to teach and impress upon our kids how to love God. It's the most important lesson that you and I have to teach them. Amen? Now go do well. Amen? Amen. Y'all have a good week.